Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 12th of July 2021. Going to start this week with the various bits of excitement on old crop grain in the UK. First things first, barley has effectively or had a period where it's looked like it ran out. There's no new crop harvesting being done, although that must be imminent in the south of the country. Allegedly, there was feed barley trading over £200 a tonne down there. And locally, it went up to as high as 195 delivered, which is pretty hefty during July. So it's all about it being a late harvest. We have been calling that for a while, as you know. I think everyone knows that the weather being a little bit dull holds things back, but it's the lead up to here that's got it to that point. I do think the weather is going to break next week, allegedly. The jet stream's moving north and we might get a high pressure come in. So hopefully we'll start seeing some action. I do not expect to see any real activity in this county until week commencing the 19th. So we've still got 10 days to wait from when I'm recording this. I think feed barley, probably anyone who needs it for next week has paid up and got themselves covered. And so I don't think there'll be a lot of activity. A lot depends on the weather forecast next week. If nothing really gets going, there may well be some hungry people again for the following week. The same principle applies to feed wheat. Old crop has had a slight resurgence as one or two people have realised that the boats haven't come yet. There are boats definitely going to be here, certainly from the 19th onwards. I do think the bulk of the problems will be solved. However, how much of that wheat is already spoken for? How much of it is it lined up against first few weeks of August deliveries? There is going to be a little tight period on wheat as well, because wheat is very clear now with the barley being late, wheat is also going to be late. Wheat is a bit more forgiving if you try and force it through a combine and then dry it. So you might get a few people doing that. But I think there could still be sufficient fun and games in that for the market to stay around about the £200 a tonne delivered mark at least. But we shall see. I think there'll be moments when everyone feels like it's going to drop and then a weather forecast that says it's going to rain again and everyone will say, oh, I need some for next week. We've already seen a couple of consumers swap some fixings from the end of the month to next week, which must mean that one or two of the people who've committed to delivering, assuming their boat was turning up, and they're saying, get someone else to deliver it, we ain't going to have it. Which is fine. We're emptying our stores a little bit quicker, so we're happy with that. It is quite good fun at the very tail end. We still have a diddy bit we're long of. You have to have it just in case, as I say, your favourites run out. We're there to be reliable. That's the point of a relationship. Moving on to new crop, the big story is really there is a big UK crop coming. The early signs of the European harvest show a big crop of barley. So we think, yep, it's going to be the same here. Some of the crops have been bashed around a bit by the weather in the last week. There's been some strong winds. There's been some rain at the wrong moment. And there's definitely some leaning over bits in our county. I understand some parts of the world have got it a little flatter. That's a good sign in a sense that there's lots of weight on the straw. I think we're in for a big crop and I think that we're not quite ready to get going yet because we haven't emptied every single shed out but we're kind of getting that harvest itch we'll call it. So prices I think 
will come under pressure as soon as there's enough supply coming along. It's the moment where, you know, where are you going to put it? Who's got stores? Are there boats about? So feed barley, 140x. That's still a really good price. Feed wheat, that's been under the most pressure. I see that one in the short term coming down further. You've got to balance the new crop, big European crop, which is inevitably bearish and looks really miserable and ooh, the world's going to end. And remember that you've got another 12 to 13 months to market this year's crop. It won't be fully used until the end of July next year. So the writing's on the wall. If there's a crop coming and there isn't that much export committed and there's imports for the early part of the year, there should be enough wheat around. I think when we get into August, the stores will effectively be empty and there'll be lots of people fighting for wheat all the way through the month of August when the combines finally roll. So any, if you like, harvest pressure is not going to occur till September. But I do think if the yields are good, then I think the sentiment will drive it down. Farmers are certainly itching to sell a bit at the moment. And I think, so if you took a view between now and October, I would say it's going to go down. However, the world is not going to produce enough grain to supply what it consumes this year again. So during the spring next year, when everyone looks at conditions, looks at what the crop is likely to be, and bearing in mind that they'll be relying very heavily yet again on there being a good planting situation in the States, it's highly possible that we'll end up in the same scenario as this year. Eight months from now, you'll forget why you felt like selling it because there was a big crop coming. You kind of got to balance what are good prices against what is the possibility of the market completely collapsing. And as I say, the sentiment as we go into next spring will still be relying very heavily upon on perfect conditions for the following crop and the way the weather is behaving and at point of recording we've just had 50 degree temperatures in Canada and leading up in towards the Arctic Circle the weather is misbehaving if it keeps misbehaving it does damage to crops so prices for feed wheat at time of recording are 158 for November movement which takes harvest down to probably 152 or three something like that there's going to be some people who pay up to get some of their expensive August sales covered. So there's going to be some fun during August. It might be the best time to sell your crop all year. But in the short term, it is on the defensive and it's slipped below £160 a tonne. So that's something to sober you all up. Oilseed rape, I think, is back up to 430 for harvest movement. There's a bit of fun and games going on in the world on that one. Probably the biggest story on that is Canada with the heat, the canola. It was very hot. It then rained, and now the forecast is dry again, so it doesn't look great for that particular crop. There's other things going on. Apparently, there's a COVID issues with the labour for harvesting palm oil, which is going to hinder the harvest of that. So those are bullish stories. The B side of that is the early European yields appear good. So I would say that is a concern from a price perspective in the sense that I think the UK is going to be better yields than we first thought as well. But we've got to wait because harvest is late. And finally, on rape, a concern is I think the AHDB did a webinar thing which kind of said, when's the best time to put rape in the ground? Well, best is the first week of August, so it gets away from the flea beetle. Well, it ain't going to be the first week of August for lots of people because the grain that's to be harvested will still be in the field. So let's bear in mind that probably the autumn crop of rape is going to come into a few difficulties with flea beetle because we've got a late harvest. So all of those things add up to some trouble. Anyway, I think that's about it for this week. We're quite happy not to be harvesting in the middle of July because our focus is upon emptying our stores, getting everything cleaned down, but just beginning to get that itch.
This week I'm talking with David Kidner, who farms in Stoke Holy Cross. David is actually one of the directors of Doing Grain, and he also managed one of our future stores for a year or two, so we discussed these things. It's a two-part series with David, so enjoy. He's got an interesting perspective, and the main topic of conversation, because he's a certain age, like I am, was football. So you'll have to put up with that if you don't like football, but there's some heartfelt stuff in there, so enjoy that. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week I have got someone of almost identical age as me and it's very important we have a conversation today due to England's progression in the Euro. So David Kidner, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, thank you. Right, football. Last night, we're 59 years old. Well, firstly, let's get over beating Germany. I'll go first. All my life, we lose to Germany in competitions and everyone goes, oh, they're a rubbish German side. They're this, that and the other. We beat them 2-0 and it was one of the best feelings ever. Agree or disagree? Uh, I'd agree. I'd agree. Looking back, that was good and that was a fractionally easier watch than last night. Oh, last night. Last night... Tough. Yeah, last night was Denmark versus England in the semi-final, just for history. I did not enjoy that at all. No. Nor did I. <laughs> so explain what, what relief. Is it? You get relief when England score. But when Denmark went one 0 ahead, yeah. Oh, here we go. The bubbles burst. Yeah, we know this. We've yep. seen this. <laughs> We're never going to score. No, We're never going to get through. I know. I was squirming. Tess and my daughter Molly was sitting beside me and asking questions about football, and I was just totally not enjoying it at all. And people would say, you don't understand sport. You have to have been an England fan for the period we have been. Where they were great just before we were conscious. We've had decades of being disappointed. I don't know why I still watch it. I should have learned (laughs) 20, 30, 40 years ago, it always ends badly. Hand of God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How does that... How does someone punch the ball into the goal and get away with it? Even though he scored a wonder goal later, he punched the ball into the goal. And the rest of the world is worshipping Madonna. No, it's a handball. How can you worship... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And We've so, already got 1986 and we're still... So it still really hurts. It started for me in 1970 when Gert Muller scored a hat-trick in Mexico. No, it started for me in 1970, FA Cup final, Peter Osgood diving header. Oh, yeah, but that's when you started loving football. No, that was really the football. Then you're into it and then it's the World Cup. Yeah, OK, that is the time that I first really became conscious of football, I agree. And I supported Chelsea in that final against Leeds because, I don't know, I mean, they played in blue, possibly. But everybody there was something... hated Leeds. Well, they didn't, did they? Leeds I don't were... know who you knew, but everybody I knew hated Leeds. Yeah, no, there was people who supported Leeds because Leeds won the FA Cup the year later and then yeah. one or two people picked yeah. up on Leeds because they were successful. And did people realise at the time just how dirty they were? Possibly people in the know, but the general public 
the BBC probably wouldn't report on how dirty they were, would they? They felt they shouldn't. That was part of the game. Do you not think that's how we struggled with last night and what probably you and I think is acting? Oh, you mean the penalty? touch and we're trained to fall over in a heap. Well, you look at the 1970 Chopper Harris... <laughs> It's leg-breaking tackles, and you're expected to just a bit more rugby. There's a famous, get on with it. famous bit of footage of Chopper Harris absolutely halving George Best, who kind of like winces a bit and then carries on and scores. Chopper Harris is spent on the floor, having kicked him as hard as he possibly can. <laughs> you're right; it did take a bit of. Um, well, I mean, you could argue Harry Kane had a more reasonable claim for a penalty, which was just ignored just before that. So I've seen enough handballs into the goal against England to have a clear conscience on it. Ask Chopper Harris. There hasn't really been a penalty in this whole tournament. Or the last one, the one before that. Never even touched him. <laughs> Relatively. So Chelsea fan through the rest of your life? No. Do, no? Who then? Nobody? Mm, not really. No, you see, I still I... look for scores. 5pm Saturday is still looking for scores. Yeah. Norwich as much as anyone. Yeah, I'm but a season ticket holder at Norwich. The, the die-hard football, it just dipped in time. I'm a bit better with football since Norwich have gone down into the championship and come back up again. It's not the premiership that I enjoy, it's the championship. It's proper football in the sense that you might win, you can have games where you generally attack a lot and, and there's much less amateur dramatics, the, the referees coming through, much less involvement in mm. people going down like a lettuce leaf, you know, just touch them and, and all that stuff. Hopefully the refereeing in this Euros final will come through into the Premiership because I think that would help the game massively. There is a lot more diving around holding your face, the game carries on and all of a sudden there's a miracle they're up again and running, aren't they? The Italian been... forward who was lying on the ground screaming and then realised... Italy had actually scored and got up and celebrated. <laughs> he I, should be booked for that. I would take issue with that. Mm. I'd take issue with what you just said because that's accepting it. And I don't think we should. No, I agree with that. You know, you know us. Put our rugby hat on. Yeah. Oh, just send them off. Get rid of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Diving. Yeah. No. Yeah. Faking. Yes. Well, I must admit, if someone got an English player sent off, you know, Harry Maguire was sent off for someone faking something and he's rolling around on the floor and the referee's bored and what have you, I see nothing wrong with Harry Maguire you know, reaching down and punching him in the face really hard so he really is hurt. Would that Showing be bad? our age and memories <laughs> and why we're so twisted with all this. David Beckham. Yeah. When oh, man, Simeone. Elbow in the back of the head. Terrible foul. And he did a little tap on the bloke who, let's really go into this, Wayne Rooney. And Ronaldo, his teammate, winking, at, got him sent off, boys. Yeah, it, brilliant footballer, naughty, naughty moment where he talked the referee into sending him off. So can't we clone Nigel Owens and get him to referee football? I think the referee. Now I think the referee in the Italy-Spain game, the German guy who's a doctor, I think he's brilliant. He really is authoritative, and he just goes get up, and the game flows. I think he's the best referee in the world at the moment. I think lots could be learnt from him. The Italian guy, the bald Italian guy who's retired now, him, he had respect he that just didn't, you know, people started doing all that stuff. I think the referees need to go on some form of psychology course, which makes them into people who are going to be harder, don't want to be liked, just want to be really professional at the job. There's a few that are a little bit affected by the limelight, aren't they? Very much so. But anyway, so footy, we're in the final. This podcast goes out after the final. Your prediction, bearing in mind your age. And what we've discussed previously. Mm. On the face of it, that obviously leads to us playing brilliantly. Mm -hmm. Hit the post, miss a net and goal, <laughs> hit one off the bar. <laughs> Italy have one shot on target. 
that hits the back of someone's head, rolls off Pickford's hand into the yeah. one nil. Somehow we get back because we believe. Yeah. And then it goes through extra time where nobody attempts to cross the halfway line because they're too scared. Yeah. And then it goes to penalties. And the rest is... <laughs> but no, I don't think not I... this time. We hope. We still hope. Yeah. Well, Gary Lineker, who is of similar age, said on TV, it's the hope that kills you. And it absolutely is. So, yeah, I hope there's some ghosts. There are some ghosts already laid to rest. I will say we're in the final, which is great. And we've beaten Germany, which is great. We haven't tripped up against a lesser team, which everyone goes, oh, Denmark should have beaten them in Ukraine. But we've lost to Iceland. We've lost to Sweden. We've lost in the past when there's been rubbish sides. We've lost, you know, when we were in, goodness knows, we nil-nil with Algeria and we hope that Egypt beats somebody 4-0 so we can get through to the next round just to lose ingloriously. All of that at this precise second is out the window. We're in the final. And, yeah, dreams are still alive. Right, we've covered that, and it's very important that we have a lot of conversation about that. There's several things. You know, you're one of our biggest clients, and we've been trading with each other since the 1980s, Mm. which is a long time. It is. I'm going to go straight into something which you did, which you came away from. I wanted this because there's a number of people who look at, you know, the model that we've used on a number of farms. So the first thing I'm going to go into is you built yourself a bigger store. And with the bigger store, we were able to say to you, look, you can make more money if you sell your grain as a futures market because the futures price normally is a higher price than the ex-farm price. And, you know, the mystique of being a future storekeeper was all of a sudden something for you to learn about. What made you stop doing it? Because we did it for two or three years. What was your main reason for not doing it? The main reason for stopping was the way we're set up. Probably my age is a factor in that when you've got that responsibility of storing other people's grain, did I enjoy climbing up a grain heap as the knees give way in December to check, to look? So that, that's, but that's you, just what you have to do. Don't you do that anyway? Yeah, you do. But it's a but, different thing when it's a shed and it's a bigger shed and it's got more stuff in it. Yeah. yeah. I know how the old bin works. I know that's all right. Yeah, you check it, but... It's not the same mm. as having lots of farmers mixed. And at the same time, we had a slight reduction in starving. We had gone back to one full-time employee and myself. Mm. And the real risk was having outloading. At the time when you got Because you to... slightly lose control, as you know, of the outloading. So if the future wheat is going, it goes. The... And I didn't think we were a big enough setup. could be disruptive. July we... could be harvest on barley. We used to, two years in a row, we're combining barley on the 3rd or 4th of July. Yeah. And we might still have lorries, 26 lorries tomorrow. So for us, that's stop, load lorries. Yeah. So then you have to go back and think, now what are we supposed to be doing? We should be combining. So that's really what happened. Yes, absolutely. So the dynamic would be if you were ever to do, because the pricing structure works, because yep. there is a premium for it, with the exception of last year, which was a smaller crop, and yep. futures next one were about the same. But it would need to be a bigger unit, a 20,000 tonne store, to justify a full-time operative. Very much so. And then you could justify that, and then that man could do yep. something else for lots of months of the year with his Yeah, it's because heat. of our, we're just a family farm, and it's a structure. You'd need to commit more. Really, when I put up that shed, I had plans to put up another shed. Mm. But by the time I was getting to there, other people had always got you know, yeah. much bigger stores. You think, yeah, that's where it works easier. Yeah. I mean, it still works. The dynamic of this corner is that it's a discount area for feed wheat because it's a surplus. And therefore, the, quite often, the best price is the futures price. So it would work, but it's just, you say, you're just, just a family farm. probably us and me... I found it didn't. I wouldn't rule out doing it again in the future. No. If if it came round again and maybe one of the offspring, uh, yeah. 
Good idea. It's a diversification. But the interesting thing is everyone looks at the improvement in price for the product. I've enhanced my price by £5 a tonne or £6 a tonne or whatever. You know, I've got rent being paid. I've, you know, this is great. I like this. I've got, to a large degree, you know, I can have cash against it. All sorts of stuff. It's a big benefit. But sometimes it's more than money, isn't it? You have to go through a process of trying things to find whether you can still function successfully in all the other aspects of the things you have to do, like yep. the barley harvest. If you're not there and it's ripe, it doesn't really work, does it? I Hopefully, there's one or two people who have toyed with the idea. I think it's something where you need to have an excess of staff or dedicated staff specifically who have that role. And right, you can give them some jobs, like chopping down Christmas trees over the winter or something, that fulfills the rest of their time. But the reality is it has to have... That's where we fell down. Not fell down. The unit size wasn't big and I couldn't justify it. Correct. In terms of employing someone for 30-odd grand a year didn't justify the premium game for the week. And there's other inconveniences. You know, there's a lorry drivers who are going to take the stuff somewhere exotic who turn up and sit in the yard too late to load that night. Oh, you don't mind if I wait in your yard, mate? And all of a sudden you've got three lorries sitting in your yard overnight. We had discussions about that, but at which point practicalities take over because of what we are. Then, despite the future's hours, you think, actually, it's in my interest to load those three lorries. So then you go and load the three lorries because then they're gone. Yeah. And I haven't got to think about them at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That's back to the, I've committed to doing something and I, I'm yeah. obliged to fulfil what I commit to, even if I go beyond the call of duty, because I'm responsible. You see the other side of the fence from a farmer's point of view. There gets a point where you have to, I know places can be slow and you get frustrated by it, but there gets a point where you've got those eight till four hours. Sometimes you bend that to load outside them. But other times, you've got enough going on. It's four. I'm going to stop at four. I cannot afford... And you can see why other people do have to stop. Things break down. Things change. I think, you know, with the view to the fact that you now, you know, you're marketing your wheat in a separate way, you utilise some outside storage that we have at one of our central stores as well, you know, you've still got the option to do something with a shed to a degree, which in itself is, if you can find a less labour-intensive way of doing something with that, then that's the next trick, isn't it? That is the next trick. Diversification. That is the next trick for us, yeah. Yeah. So you're not far from Norwich. The road isn't too bad, depending yeah. on which one you choose to get here. Correct. <laughs> from if you bit, get the bit, right road, it's a <clears> bit thin. But having had in, the investment in the shed, it's there, isn't it? I think one of the positive things at our at agedness is to still be going forwards, to still have to think, what do I do next? How can I, what do I want to do? What? I don't know about you, but I find <clears> something <throat> like, I know that shed's going to be sitting there post-harvest, and I actually find it quite difficult to know how to push it forward. Finding the right person, people, to... Here's a grain store. It's a bog-standard concrete tin. Yeah. Where do I go to renting it out and rates? And, oh, yeah, I find that quite... Fitting that in, yeah. making myself deal with it, can be an issue on the cusp of harvest where I'm supposed to be emptying the bin and... You kind of need someone to approach you and say, look, are you, out there. Are you got a shed? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's six people listening yeah. to the podcast, so you should be... <laughs> <laughs> There's more than that, I will tell you. But someone out there, if they go, yeah, maybe I can do something with it, then hopefully that'd be great. You know, I'll take a commission if you get someone to phone you up. Right, I've got another question, which is outside the box. This is an outside the box bit. You are the representative farmer on the Doing Grain board. You are our token Mm. agricultural person. Yes. Has that opened your eyes to the terribleness of merchanting? No, I already knew about the terribleness (laughs) of merchanting. I've experienced it (laughs) 
Here you sit in our board meetings, we're not anything like the multinationals, obviously we're a local business, but we sit there, you know, the dynamic of any business is, you can actually do whatever you want, can't you? If you haven't got an accountant running you, you can have some real harebrained schemes, like build a shed and think, what should I do with it? And off you go. What's your thoughts about being involved with a separate business that isn't farming? I wish I'd done it sooner, if I could have done, but you're too busy. No, I, I enjoy it, because you get to see a different angle, different people from different backgrounds. Some of it's quite eye-opening. One or two of the directors are very switched-on people, and, you know, I I do quite enjoy it. And occasionally, just occasionally, I'm able to throw something in that actually they're surprised because I'm coming at it purely from the farming angle, and some of you, you're looking at it from a different business point of view. Yeah, That's interesting for me to see how a different business logic works, and sometimes that can be more ruthless is too strong, but financially geared, whereas I'm not saying that farming isn't, But you're coming from a very different, very often a family business background, Mm. which is different. Well, I've brought people in who are not family, who are not executives of the business. I mean, because of their experience. And it was vital, being a grain merchant, that we had a farmer. You know, you're open to people, I don't know whether they readily know that you're our farmer director or not, but they certainly do now. You know, whether you're open to abuse or you're part of the dark side or something, but it's vital that we have that input. Because if I really step over the line on some form of contract decision or something that we decide to go and push or we need to be growing something obscure, you're going to say, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm relying on you to say, no, I wouldn't do that. And on occasion I have. Yeah. Yeah, being a farmer representative, that's in itself quite interesting because every farmer is different, every farmer is different. You feel like you're representing a whole disparate group of different, every field is different. Yeah, and absolutely. You are representing a disparate group. (laughs) Of complete individuals who uh, some are probably them were... quite strong, <coughs> quite independent. Well, you know, you got people who would rant about milling wheat, people who'd rant about malting barley, people who'd rant about I don't know the price of fertilizer or something. When you're under pressure, you're going to rant about whatever's difficult for you. Yeah, it's or impinging on your business. Yeah, we've got no one in our business who represents the animal feed sector. Yeah. Well, you could argue Dennis, our Danish director, so. We'd better not mention the foot. Well, he, he won't mind, Dennis, but he's sort of like been living here long enough. But he's involved in the meat industry. He's been involved in production of animals for enough years. So he has a, a large knowledge on that sector. So I suppose we are represented there too, aren't we? Yep. Would you recommend it? Does it help in any way with your farming decisions? Or does it just make you think? I don't know. It actually uh, has possibly, without me knowing it, uh, no, it's because you're coming from a, it's something different. It's coming at business from a completely different angle. Mm. is interesting and slightly refreshing. Mm. I think on the basis of, we talked an awfully large amount about football, I think I've got a couple of things I really want to talk to you about. One of them is harvest, Mm -hmm. and one of them is Brexit, because that's the biggest area we've ever had any argument about. We must give that a proper airing in our light, humid way, whilst clenching our fists and gritting our teeth. So I'm going to cut your podcast in two. You're going to be a two-podcast person. Mm. So I say, David, thank you for part one. I look forward to part two. And you say something like... Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.